All right. Well, good morning, everyone. Nice to see you all. Glad to be back in Maine. I was away to Texas for a good part of this week. It was very hot and muggy. It was like 85, and then whenever I touched down in Portland, it was like 45, which is nice. It doesn't feel that way today. Um, it's great and great to be back in, in Maine. Um, so today, we're going to continue through the book of Acts like we do, working through God's word, verse by verse, to see what it has for us. Um, Today we're going to be in Acts chapter 3. We're going to work through verses 1 to 20. So before I really jump in, I'm just going to read the text for us, and I have the text up here as well, just so we can get our bearings with with everything. This is what it says in Acts chapter 3, verses 1 to 20. It says, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man, lame from birth, was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Verse 11. While this man clung to Peter and John, all the people were utterly astounded. And they ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that as Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out. The times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Today, working through Acts chapter 3, we're going to look to Peter as an example of bold faith. That's our theme today, bold faith. This is something I pray a lot for, that the Lord would give me boldness. And I think it's something that we need the church needs, followers of Jesus need. I think it's the greatest need of the hour is boldness. What does it mean to be bold in our faith? What do we see that the Holy Spirit does with the church in the book of Acts as he emboldens people to preach the gospel? Oftentimes, just being real here, I feel very timid, unsure of myself, 
and reluctant to reach out to others to speak to Christ. It happens all the time. I'll even pray for opportunities that God would give me to share, and then I'm afraid whenever those opportunities come. It's like, be careful what you ask for, right? Maybe you're that way too. I don't know. I suspect many of us are. That's why I think this is such an important passage for us to work through and see Peter. And, and I think Peter's a great example because Peter wasn't always as bold. If you remember Peter in the, in the Gospels, he denied Jesus three times, right? And Jesus said he was going to do that. Jesus said, hey, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter's like, what? I'm not going to deny you three times. And then he did. And the last person he denied Jesus to was a little servant girl, probably 12, 13 years old. He was scared of a little servant girl who had no power, no ability to do anything to him. And yet now we see Peter preaching the gospel to the very people that killed his Lord. He had bold faith, and it came by way of the Holy Spirit. But what does that mean for us? What does it mean for us to be bold in our faith? What are the hallmarks of boldness of faith? What do we see that Peter does that we should do and pray for that the Spirit would embolden us to speak? I think boldness is the, is the one thing that's lacking most in the church to be on mission for Christ. And so today we're going to work through Acts chapter 3 verses 1 to 20 to look at this boldness, this bold faith of Peter, and to see how he was bold and prayerfully that the Lord would make us into that through the preaching of his word. Before we jump in too much, I, I just want to give a quick sort of bird's eye view of the text. So um, there, the book of this verse in Acts chapter 3, it, it kind of follows a formula that we see throughout the book of Acts. And the formula is this. There's a miracle that happens. That's verses 1 to 10. There's a miracle that happens. A crowd gathers and then the gospel's preached. We see that. We saw that last week in Acts chapter 2. We're seeing it this week. And so verses 1 to 10 is the miracle. And then verses 11 through 26, we're only making it to verse 20, but 11 to 26 is the message. So we got the miracle, and then we got the message. And the message is the message of Jesus Christ. And I want to say this before we uh, go further. There's a, I, we didn't, we're not going through verses 20 to 26. Honestly, I just ran out of time this week. Sorry about that. Um, there's some good stuff in there. So um, work through it. Um, he talks about how Moses talked about the, the Messiah, talked about Jesus um, from Deuteronomy 18. So check that out in your spare time. Um, but we're only going to get to verse 20. So starting right away in verses 1 to 4, the first thing we see about bold faith is that bold faith engages brokenness. Bold faith, people with bold faith, they engage the brokenness that they see in this world. This is what verses 1 to 4 says. It says, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And they see this, this man who's lame from birth, this uh, lame beggar who was being carried. He, this guy was laid daily at the gate of the temple called the beautiful gate, asking alms. And it says, seeing Peter and John about to go in the temple, he asked to receive alms from them. And then Peter says to him, look at us. So right away, we see the situation, the scenario. Peter and John were going to the temple to pray. So it says the ninth hour. Anytime you see like the ninth hour, the twelfth hour, whatever in the Bible, you just add six to it, and then that's the actual time. 
So nine plus six is comes out to about three. Yeah, three p.m. Yeah, nine plus six. Yeah, fifteen. Yeah, three p.m. So it's about three p.m. Right, three p.m. They you know eating dinner. I mean, sorry, eating lunch, going to the temple to the hour of prayer, walking in, and they see this guy sitting there, this lame beggar, this guy from birth who was lame. Um, now it says that the guy had been lame for his entire life. And it says that he was laid at the temple daily at this gate daily, assuming people are going to come in to pray and they're going to give him stuff, give him money, give him food, give him whatever he needs to get by. Um, so this probably wasn't the first time Peter and John saw this guy. I mean, if they were Jews and they went to the temple and they did their religious thing week in and week out, they probably saw this guy a lot. And they just so happen to see this guy again. Now, this guy's situation was pretty bad. Um, you know, back then they didn't have, they, these kind of folks relied on the benevolence of strangers, right? They didn't have the type of stuff that, that we have today. And so in verse 10, um, it tells us that this guy had a little bit of a reputation around the town. Verse 10 says that they recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate asking for alms. So this guy is the alms guy. This guy is the lame beggar. This guy is the guy that we can count on seeing every day whenever we go to the temple. And so that's what we see. He's asking to receive alms. He asked Peter and John in verse 3 if he can give them alms. This guy they pass by every single day. But I love Peter's response to him in verse 4. And this is where we see that Bold faith engages brokenness. This is what Peter says. He says, And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and he said, Look at us. Peter said, Look at us. Peter wants to look this broken man in the eye. Okay? It's a very small exchange, but it speaks a lot. He doesn't keep walking. He doesn't turn the other way. He doesn't ignore the man. But he looks the man dead in his eyeballs. He says, look at us. I think it's interesting, this this guy must have already looked away. He saw Peter and John, but he looked away, maybe because they were going to be just like every other person that passes him by. But after having looked away, John says, Peter says, no, I I want you to look at me. Peter does not walk away. What we learn from this little interaction is that bold faith initiates Bold faith takes that initial step. Bold faith knows the Jesus behind the faith. And he doesn't ask for permission, but he wants to see that Jesus fix brokenness. Many of us have this type of experience driving through Portland, right? The panhandlers on the, you know, the intersection, whatever. Typically, um, you know, nine and two or whatever, just kind of staring forward. I've never told any of these guys to look me in the eye. I don't know if I don't know if, if you've ever told any of these guys to look look me in the eye. Uh, yeah, look me look me dead in the eye. Look at me. And you know, could I if could I command them to stand up and walk? You know, probably not. Maybe if they were lame, maybe. But Peter, he says that right. I, I think in, as far as benevolence and and should you help out those folks and all that, um, that that's a different conversation. But what I see here is that he engages this person, and he doesn't go the other way, but he looks at them. Whenever Peter looks at this guy, he knows Jesus can heal him. 
And I wonder about the brokenness we have in our lives. If we think about that for the people we know in our lives who are broken. If we're like, well, they're just struggling and, you know, good luck. Or, or if we're like, okay, I know Jesus can fix this. So what am I going to do about it? Bold faith initiates. Why did Peter know? Why did he know that Jesus could heal this guy? Because of his faith. Verse 16, this is what it says. He says, Peter saying, and his name by faith in the name of Jesus has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. Now, I'm gonna ask a question. Whose faith made this man well? Was it the beggar's faith? Well, no. Peter never shared the gospel with him, right? He just told him to stand up and walk. Whose faith made this man well? It was Peter's faith. Peter's faith. Peter believed Jesus can heal this man, stand up and walk. And he commanded the man to stand up and walk. It was Peter's belief in the power of Jesus to heal that brought the boldness of faith to engage. I think that's an amazing thing. Peter believed, and so this man was healed. So what does this mean for us? What about the brokenness around us? This man was healed because of the boldness of Peter's faith in Jesus. How many people around us are in need of our bold faith to see brokenness in their life gone, right? Not putting it, you just need to believe, you just need to believe. What about us? Do we believe? Do we believe that God can can heal people? Do we believe that God can bring restoration? Do we believe that God can bring life and through that faith engage with people, engage with broken folks? Who in our lives need us to be bold in in our faith for their sake? Who in our lives need us to be bold in our faith for their sake? Who are the people in our lives who need us to look them in the eye and declare Jesus to them? This is something I struggle with a lot, right? It can be uncomfortable. It can be very uncomfortable. A lot of times I feel like I need to ask permission or I need, I need this person to come to me, but maybe they're just waiting for me to go to them. Maybe they're waiting for me to be bold because I do have a Jesus that can bring restoration and healing. I do have a Jesus that brings life to broken things. Why would I not be bold if I truly believe that? That's what I see with Peter here. He believed that and the man stood up and walked. We can as a church be far too passive as a people be far too, too passive. And again, I, I am the first offender in this to just sort of look away, to not want to engage myself, to just be like, okay, that, you know, you're all set or, or just not jump in, not initiate, not engage. But that's not what we see with Peter. He engages. We are oftentimes not bold in our faith and we can come up with, with excuses not to engage with people, not to point them to Christ. In the midst of all this, though, I love that, that Peter, he doesn't have the excuse. Yeah, he walked by this guy day in and day out, but on this day, something was different. On this day, he engaged, and on this day, this man was made well. And on this day, from this miracle, the gospel was shared to all the people there. God used this one moment of bold faith to create the arena for a sermon, for a message. The first thing we see about bold faith is that it engages 
with people. It engages with brokenness and it doesn't really ask for permission. It doesn't ask for permission. So the next thing we see about bold faith is bold faith preaches what people need, not what people want. So bold faith engages with people, but then it preaches to them what they need to hear, not what they want to hear. That's verses five through eight. This is what it says. Uh, And the, the lame beggar fixed his attention on them expecting to receive something from them. So Peter says, look at us. And the guy looks up, he's like, oh, sweet. I'm going to get a, you know, a dollar to go buy a Big Mac or something, right? Not exactly, but he's like, okay, I'm going to get something. Verse six, but Peter said, I have no silver and gold. And the guy's like, what? That's what I need. I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. What did this man want? He wanted money, right? And who could blame him? He, you know, he's, his situation is pretty tight. He wanted money, he wanted food, he wanted something to help him get by. Now, can you imagine if he had received what he asked for? He would have been right back in the same situation the next day. Depending on the amount of money, maybe the next week. But if he would have gotten what he asked for, he would have been no better off. He would have been right back where he started. But Peter knows that this man needs something far better than he would have even dared to ask or dream. He would have never thought he could ever walk again. But that's what Peter offers to him. He asks for so little compared to what is offered to him. He, he has something that he wants, but Peter has something that he needs. Bold faith preaches what people need, not what they want. Not what they want. He was asking for money and stuff, but God gave him a new life. Now, what Peter says here in verse six, I, I just love the way he says it. It's such a powerful, if I could think of something half as cool to say, then I would be all right. He says this, I have no silver and gold to give to you, but what I do have in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Nazareth, stand up and walk. That's one of those like drop the mic moments, right? It's like, the guy's like, whoa, what? And then the guy stands up and walks. Bold faith points to Jesus as what people ultimately need rather than the small wants of their life. That, that's the main thing here. People think they know what they need. It's really just what they want. What they actually need is what God offers them through Jesus Christ. This past week, as I said, I was down in um, Dallas for like a training thing because, you know, I do the health insurance stuff. And so I, I went down there to our sort of corporate headquarters in Dallas, uh, Fort Worth area. And um, we were in, uh, in a room with all the top agents from the country there. And these are guys that make a ton of money, like a ton. Like they make more money in a month than I, than I make in a year. Like that's what these guys do, a ton of money. And as I was thinking on this message and thinking about, you know, that sort of, you know, rubbing shoulders with these guys, I was thinking about what if one of these guys had been in the situation of Peter, Right. One of these really rich guys had walked by and, um, and, 
you know, given the man the money, right? He, he would have given him a few coins. And because the guys have a ton of money, they could have done that. The lame beggar, he would have gotten what he wanted, but not what he needed. It was far better for a poor fisherman that had Christ to pass by him than for a, will, uh, a, a rich, wealthy ruler to pass by him. Think about that. It was far better for this man that someone who knew Jesus to come in contact with him rather than someone with, with like the Bill Gates of the world to come in contact with him. We give people what they need, not what they want. We give people what they need, not what they want. This is what Psalm 32, 1 to 2 says. Psalm 32, 1 to 2 says this. It says, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. More valuable than gold and silver, more valuable than the millions of dollars in this world, more valuable than, than anything this world can give is the forgiveness offered to us through Jesus Christ. More valuable. It says, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven. Blessing from God is found in forgiveness of sin. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. Praise God that he doesn't give us what we want. Praise God that he doesn't give us what we want because we want so much less than what God actually offers us. Oftentimes, we want so much less than what God actually offers us because he has offered us everything we need through Jesus Christ. By God's grace, he shows us what we actually need and that's reconciliation that Christ offers. True blessing is found in Jesus. And so bold faith preaches what people need. Bold faith doesn't just listen to, oh, I need this, and this is going around my life, and this, this person did this, this person did that, blah, 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 blah. No, we, we, we point to Jesus. Talk about unmet expectations for, this, for this, um, this lame beggar here. May God continue to not meet our expectations. May he change our expectations. May he change our desires. Bold faith preaches what people need, not what they want. That's what we see here with the lame beggar. And so he jumps up. He is healed miraculously. A whole crowd kind of gathers over to look at him. And that's what we see in verses 9 and 10. They recognize that the miracle had happened here. And so as this crowd is gathering, Peter takes the opportunity to preach Jesus. Remember again, a miracle is is uh, performed, and then it leads to an opportunity to preach a message of Christ. And so that's what we see in verses 12 to 15. Uh, reading verse 11, it says this, while he clung to Peter and John, all the people utterly astounded ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. So this guy is like scared to death, right? All these people run to him. He's clinging to Peter and John, probably half because he's terrified, half because he's amazed, half because he's healed. And then Peter just jumps into his sermon here and he shows us our, the third sort of hallmark of bold faith. Bold faith confronts sin, that's the third thing we're going to see from this section. Bold faith confronts sin. So it says in verse 12, And when Peter saw all these people coming, he addressed the people. He says, Men of Israel, 
Why do you wonder at this? So why are you all amazed at what's going on here? Why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this, we are all witnesses. Right away, as the people come, the very first thing Peter does is to indict them on their sin. Talk about a, an intro, right? He doesn't even beat around the bush. He's, he just jumps right into it. You are the guys that killed Jesus. You denied him. You delivered him up. You killed him. Bold faith confronts sin. It's not an easy thing to do, especially since this is the same crowd that killed Christ. If they killed Jesus, what do you think they might do to Peter? Bold faith confronts sin. So, so right away, he says, men of Israel, why are you looking at us? I didn't do this. Jesus did this. I didn't heal this man. Jesus healed this man. He's taken the, the view off of him, puts it on Christ, and then from there, he takes it from Christ and he puts it on their sin. And he does it, he, he, he declares their sin to them in this very tragic and ironic way. He says that you denied the holy and righteous one. He says that you asked for a murderer to be granted to you. He says that you killed the author of life. Talk about irony. Jesus, the creator of all things, the very one that wrote all things into existence, the creator of life is the one that they murdered. Whenever it says that they asked for a murderer to be granted to them, we remember that that's Barsabbas. I mean, Barabbas. Yeah, Barabbas, not Barsabbas. Barabbas, right? That, that Pilate said, all right, you guys can keep Barabbas, who's a murderer, or you can take Jesus, who's a savior. The irony is that they chose to save the murderer, but, but then they murdered the savior, right? Think about that. They chose to save a murderer so that they could murder the savior of the world. And so Peter's just heaping upon them their sin, heaping upon them their guilt. He doesn't turn from that. He boldly declares to them what they have done. In the crucifixion, we see great irony. We see great tragedy. And I, I think it's so telling that Peter doesn't sugarcoat any of it. Peter doesn't lessen to any degree the guilt that is on them. He doesn't be like, well, you know, you guys get a pass. You didn't know. You know, it's hard. Who could have known, right? Jesus, we waited 400 years for this to happen. It finally happens. Who could have known? No. He said, this is what you did. This is what you did. In bold faith, he declares their sin to them, confronts their sin. For us, the application point, as followers of Christ, we are called to preach the truth to people. And this always starts with being real about their sin. Okay, As followers of Christ, we are called to preach the truth to people, and it always starts with being real about where they stand with God and their need of a Savior, where they are in their sin. This is what 2 Corinthians 4.2 says. It says, we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We, we refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by an open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to, every, to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. It's so easy to sugarcoat what the Bible says. 
I mean, have you guys read the Old Testament prophets? Have you read Jeremiah? Have you read Ezekiel? Have you read Isaiah? Have you read the things that God has said? Have you read Revelation? Like that, that stuff is in there. And we have to, uh, uh, Deuteron- the curses found in Deuteronomy for God's people if they do not follow his word. It's so easy for us to, to take the hard things of scripture and blunt them. The, the points, the hard edges of scripture and put padding over them. This is the exact opposite of what Paul says here. We have renounced these ways. Disgraceful, underhanded. We refuse to practice cunning, but by a plain open statement of the truth, we preach to others. If you remember the first sin in the garden was Satan making Eve question the word of God. God said, do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Satan said, did God really say that? Ah, maybe you're, he didn't mean that, right? He didn't mean that. Did God say? The very first sin is the twisting of God's word and that led to Eve falling, right? This is the primary temptation of today's churches and pastors. And I I would say, to not plainly speak what the Bible says and to be real lovingly, but to be real with people where they're at with God, their need of a savior. How this manifests itself to me in just my uh, observation is that churches and pastors and Christians often speak to struggles and not to sin. Okay, we often speak to struggles and not to sin. We, we speak to felt needs of people rather than the truth of God's word. I believe what we need is just to know God's word more than anything. We need to know God's word, okay? We often preach to struggle and not to sin. What do I mean by that? This is what it often looks like. We'll say things like this. Life is hard. It is hard. Life gets you down. This world gets you down. It does get us down. Um, You do your best. You're not perfect, but you try to be a good person. Just let Jesus into your life to help you with life's struggles. Just let Jesus into your life to bring new energy and meaning to it. And while this is partly true, this isn't the gospel. That's not the gospel message of salvation from sin. This isn't a plain statement of the truth of our predicament. Jesus did not come to save us from our struggles. Jesus came to save us from our sin. It's a very, very big difference. We don't struggle with sin apart from Jesus. No, we are dead in sin apart from Jesus. People that don't have Christ, they don't struggle with sin. They're just dead in sin. They just live a life of sin. They just follow the way. That's what it says in Ephesians chapter 2. It says that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, following the way of the world, following the the prince of the power of the air, committing these acts. That's what it, it says. So whenever we preach struggle, we preach Jesus as a nice addition to our lives that helps us whenever times get tough. He does do that, right? He does do that. I'm not saying he doesn't do that, but he's not a nice addition, Whenever we preach sin, we preach Jesus as the only way to life. Jesus is not a bookend on an otherwise pretty good life. Jesus is life. Jesus takes all of life. 
He says to take up your cross and follow me. He says to lay it all down. He doesn't say add me to the list of things that make, that make you up who you are. No, he says, give it all to me. Lay it all down. Lay it all down. We don't need to add Jesus to an otherwise pretty good life. No, we need Christ to give us a new life. We need to preach sin. We need bold faith to confront sin. It's real about the reality of our situation, of fallen people before a holy and righteous God. Bold faith confronts sin. It doesn't sugarcoat anything. It's real. It's honest. I often wonder if we were to pose this question to Christians, is man basically good or basically bad? Okay. What would people say? Most people would probably say man is basically good. I would, that would be my assumption. Whenever the Bible clearly says in no uncertain terms, time and time again, that we are fallen, evil, wicked. You cannot trust your heart is deceitful above all things. That's what it says. We cannot preach struggle with sin. We have to preach the reality of sin. That we are broken and needy people in such need of a savior. That's not what it means, right? Um, to be a sinner. We're not strugglers. We're sinners. And this, I'm just really hyping you guys up. You're feeling really good about yourself right now. I'm not, I'm not trying to. I just really want to get, that's what Peter does, right? That's what he does. He doesn't mince words, right? And I, I, we do a disservice to ourselves. We just do a disservice to others whenever we mince words. No, like this is it. And this is what makes the gospel so sweet. Okay, if we don't have this, the gospel is not sweet to us. It's just convenient. It's just nice. It's not needed. It's just a cool thing. This is what makes the gospel necessary. And do you see why we need bold faith to preach it? Do you see? This isn't a a nice message. We're not trying to destroy people here. We speak these things in love, but here's the thing. It does a man no good to pretend his cancer is the common cold, okay? It does a man no good to pretend his cancer is the common cold. A good doctor does not mince words. Peter does not mince words. I remember um, counseling a couple um, for marriage, marriage counseling, and this was like, this was before I was married, so it was a little kind of weird, but it was good. It was good. And, um, and I was sitting with them and we were kind of listing, we were walking through their marriage and the issues. And I remember just like writing out, I had two pages of just a bunch of yuck, nasty sins in their life. All the things that they'd done to each other, all the issues that they had, all this stuff, just, just out there, just, you know, and I remember, um, you know, getting through it and just kind of sitting back and be like, man, like that's rough. That's tough. Like this is, and I remember it was like, as they were, as I was writing it, they were kind of realizing just how messed up they were. I mean, that's another, that's the only way to put it. Like whenever I got done, like I I showed them the paper, like, man, we're, we're lost. (laughs) Like we're, we're messed up. Like we, we need help. They didn't realize it. Right. And that's what, that's what the situation is for us. We don't realize just how needy we are, just how far from God we are, just how far in sin we are. It's a hard message to preach. The gospel requires hard conversations. 
We have to confront it in bold faith and confront sin. But the good news is that the, the, the conversation, if we're doing it right, it doesn't stay a hard conversation. Because on the other side of sin, what we see this last section here is that bold faith, it confronts sin, but bold faith also preaches repentance that leads to salvation. And that's exactly what Peter does. He confronts them on their sin. Then verse 17, this is what he says. And now brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance as did also your rulers. But God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer. He has thus fulfilled. Verse 19. Repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. That times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. There's a decisive change. He loads the burden on them. You killed the author of life. You denied the holy and righteous one. You, you, you. Verse 17. And now. So he says, and now. He says, now. This is your situation. But now, repent. The times of refreshing may come. There's a pivot. There's a transition. There is a a way offered to them. A way offered to them. And that way is repentance that leads to a forgiveness of sin, a blotting out of sin, and refreshing that comes from God. Do you see why we have to preach sin? Only sins are blotted out. Struggles are not blotted out. Only sins are blotted out. This word blotted out, it means to be erased, to be washed away, to be wiped away. It means that God doesn't have your permanent file on record. He doesn't have your rap sheet. He doesn't have your personal history. It's gone. That's the good news. All the stuff that goes into your life that makes up the body of work that shows you to be a fallen creator, creation of God, all of that is gone, wiped away. The slate is clean, blotted out, repent from your sin, and all of that is taken away. That's the good news. But we can't get to it without the bad news first. Through repentance, through salvation in Christ, it's as if those things had never happened. Because whenever Jesus dies on the cross, he dies and takes the punishment for those things. Have you ever thought about that? Jesus died as if he had murdered people. Jesus died as if he were the one who had stolen. Jesus died as if he were the one who had raped. Any heinous crime, the thing that whenever Jesus died on the cross, he died as if he were the one that did it. Talk about, talk about taking the punishment upon himself. The perfect man, the holy righteous one, the author of life who did no wrong died as a common criminal as if he had done all these things so that our record, our rap sheet could be washed clean. That is good news. That's the good news that people need. They need to know that it all can be taken away, that it all can be paid for, that it's all been provided for, that's all been blotted out. That's what they need to know. But it starts with repentance of sin. That's why bold faith preaches repentance that leads to salvation. You notice verse 19 says, repent therefore 
that your sins may be blotted out. Repentance precedes the blotting out of sins. Repentance precedes the times of refreshment that come. Bold faith confronts sin. Bold faith points to the savior of the sin. Repentance is the act of turning from that sin and placing faith in that savior. So what we learn here as we conclude is that none of us can come to Christ unless we first are real with our sin and turn away from our sin. Bold faith preaches this message and it doesn't stop. This gospel message, it's the only message we have. We don't have another message. We don't have another solution for this world. We don't have anything else to say. All we have to say is Jesus. That's the only thing we have. It's the only thing we need. It begins and it ends through through salvation from sin, through Jesus Christ. I got nothing else to say to any of you other than that. The temptation is to adorn this message. We get tired of it. We think maybe it's not enough. We think we need to, to add maybe works to it. We think that we need to add gimmicks. We think we need someone who, you know, is very charismatic, smooth talker, to, so people will listen. We need to add all this stuff, signs and wonders and all this stuff. No, we don't need to add anything. This message, this gospel message, Romans 1.16 says, is the power of God for salvation. It's the only message that we have. Whenever Jesus said it is finished on the cross, he meant it. The only thing we need is bold faith to proclaim it. That's what we see through Peter here. And so as we conclude, my prayer is that we would follow Peter's example. To have the bold faith to engage brokenness, to not just keep going, but believe because of our faith that says Jesus can fix this. I'm going to engage with this person because I want to see Jesus do just that. That we need to show people what they need, not what they want. That we need to confront sin and from that preach repentance. That, me, that we may have the bold faith to preach the gospel that many will come to faith. That's what we need more than anything else. And Lord willing, he'll provide that to us through his spirit. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I just thank you for your example, God. I, I just, uh, oftentimes I feel so weak and I feel like, you know, we have to, you know, reinvent the wheel every time. It's like, okay, this doesn't work. Let's try this. Okay, this doesn't work. Let's try this. Your gospel does not change. It's never changed and it never will change. It, it, it gives us everything we need more than anything else, more than gold, more than silver, more than anything in this world. We need the forgiveness that Jesus offers. That's what everyone in this world needs, Lord. I think about all the stuff that you have blessed me with and I thank you for that. But the salvation of Christ is, is more valuable than any of those things. The salvation that Jesus offers is more valuable than anything this world can give, Lord, but we just don't see it. We have all these wants, Lord, that come out and drown out the need. I pray that you would recalibrate us and give us the boldness of faith that Peter has to go and to engage, to show people what they need. Many people will not listen, but some will. And you will perform a miracle. The miracle, Lord, more than just the lame beggar walking is the sinner saved. That's the miracle. That's the greater thing. That, that a name is written in the book of life. That is the miracle, God. 
I just want to pray over all of us that you would embolden us in our faith, that you would magnify to us the worth and the value and the beauty of Jesus, that you would would move us from a sense of struggle to a sense of sin, that we would be amazed that we have a Savior, Lord. We do struggle, and that's true, and that's real. I don't want to discount that, Lord. But beneath that is, is a heart that's just broken, a heart that is just black, that needs to be changed and transformed through the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ. And I thank you that you have done that. You have done that, Lord. I want to pray for everyone here, wherever they're at, whatever's going on, whether um, just their faith in you, where they stand, and um, how that faith is going to impact their, their life, the situations in their life, Lord. Just be near to us, God. Just help us to dwell with you. Help us to rest in Jesus. Help us to focus on him. Help us to just be close. Lord, we love you. We thank you for all these things. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen.